Well, hello, hello, my friends. It's so good to be with you again, to be here discussing uh, topics that relate to our church and to the life of faith. We are on the Continuing the Conversation podcast, and we are continuing our conversation this week on the topic of hope. This is a new season for our church. We have divided this year up into a couple of different seasons where we can focus on and think about certain topics throughout the year. And so already this year we have spent some time living in the season and the rhythm of living by faith, of really trying to cultivate our faith and to grow spiritually uh, with our grounding in scripture and paying close attention to the words of Jesus and other writers of scripture so that we can learn what it means to be faithful followers of Jesus and to live faithfully in our current context today. But this month, during the month of May through August, our focus and our attention is shifting to the idea of advocating hope. And the idea of advocating hope is a fantastic idea that we find contained throughout all of the pages of Scripture, one in which God uh, directs his people to care for those who uh, are on the margins of society, those who may not have a voice in their society. And so during this time, it is our goal that we will be a voice for the voiceless, that we will be people who pay close attention to the needs of others and respond as Jesus would. And so uh, last week, John Mark and I introduced this topic. And this week, uh, we are going to be continuing to talk about the idea of hope and trying to really understand what this word means and really a little bit dive into some of the passages in Scripture in which we find this idea being communicated to us as followers of Jesus. And so this week, we're going to be talking about the idea of hope as bondage, from bondage to liberation. And this is an idea that is central in Scripture. And so we're going to be talking about this. And in future weeks, uh, hopefully we'll also get to talk about a couple of different other ways that we see uh, hope explored in Scripture. Uh, some of those might include moving from alienation to adoption, might include moving from purposelessness to having an identity grounded in Christ. Uh, one more might be moving away from suffering and into endurance. And all of these are different uh, themes and ways that hope is communicated in Scripture. There are five theological stories. And last week we joked that uh, I wrote five, but I only wrote down four. Uh, so the title is a little bit misleading, but there are different theological stories and ways of reading Scripture for, that will help us to understand the topic of hope and understand what Scripture is trying to communicate to us about what life truly and really looks like. And so the primary place that we're going to, to be discussing today, this theme of moving away from bondage and into liberation, is in the book of Exodus. And this book is central to the ideas of hope uh, that are found especially in the Old Testament, but they also carry through to the New Testament as well. And the Exodus is the primary event that the Old Testament tells the story of the people of Israel. Uh, the rest of the story of Israel wouldn't make much sense without the event of the Exodus. And in fact, in some ways, the book of Genesis is almost an introduction to what is to take place in the book of Exodus. And so in the very beginning uh, of the Bible, we have an introductory book uh, that really, it can stand alone, but it serves also as an introduction to this 
uh, major story, this major plot line of the Exodus, this foundational event in the life of this group of people that we call Israel, that move from bondage to liberation. And it's all because of their God. Uh, the God that we read about in the Bible, uh, he first uh, is given a name in the book of Genesis by Hagar, but uh, the first time that God shares his name with his people comes in the book of Exodus. And so when we get to Exodus, God reveals his name to Moses, who is going to be one of the primary characters for not only the book of Exodus, but the next several books of the Bible. And uh, Moses will be the primary spokesperson uh, that speaks on behalf of God. He is the intermediary between the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. And so he speaks on behalf of God. He intermediates God's presence to the people of Israel. And in the book of Exodus, at the very beginning of the book, he is going to be the one who comes and introduces this God to Pharaoh in Egypt. And uh, a really interesting couple of studies that have been, there have been a lot more than a couple of studies, really, about the name that God shares with Moses. But uh, there certainly are a couple of interesting studies that I will, or, or uh, su summaries of the studies that I will share with you today. And uh, the first is a, a relatively recent book that was uh, released last year by Andrew Root, and he is exploring what it means to minister in our current a uh, day and age in a book called The Pastor in a Secular Age. And he writes uh, about this exact event where Moses learns the name of God at the very beginning of the book of Exodus in Exodus chapter 3. And uh, he writes about this encounter with God in Exodus 3 and 4, and he says that names are powerful things. Uh, one of the core tasks of the pastor is to name things properly, and the reason for this is because that's one of the tasks that God has given to his creation. If you think back to the book of Genesis and the creation story, God tasks Adam with naming the animals. Uh, he invites humanity to participate in the naming of things. And so uh, to name things properly is important. And when we hear God's name, it, this is his proper name. It is his name that he shares uh, on his own behalf. And so uh, for this event, for this encounter, this is a powerful, powerful moment. It's foundational in the life of Israel. And, and another work uh, by Thomas Cahill, uh, he writes a book called The Gifts of the Jews, uh, writing about how uh, the Jewish people, the Israelite people, have really changed our perception of how reality itself works. And uh, in, in his book, he goes into a little bit more about this name that God gives to Moses in these opening chapters of the book of Exodus. And of course, uh, the way that we translate uh, the name today is uh, with four letters, uh, Y-H-W-H. And uh, the vowels, of course, don't, uh, they're not supplied in Hebrew. Uh, and so uh, when we add in vowels, it, the, the name looks like Yahweh. And uh, also in the past, it's been uh, translated as Jehovah as well. And uh, that's because uh, the Y and the J, uh, uh, they, they have the same Hebrew letter. Uh, but we, we trans often translate the Y into English with a J sound. And so that's how you get Jehovah and Yahweh. And the same thing happens with the W and the V, uh, with those letters being somewhat interchangeable when you translate from Hebrew to English. But this name Yahweh, uh, it's a really interesting name because uh, in some ways, uh, it almost sounds like you are inhaling and exhaling. That when you inhale, uh, you kind of make a, a, a sound, uh, which kind of sounds like yaw. And when you exhale, 
it kind of sounds like way, Yahweh. And so it's almost an inhaling and an exhaling, uh, which really works well with the way that we translate this this name of God, this name that seems to mean I am who I am. Uh, and so even in the Septuagint, which was the uh, which is the Greek trans uh, translation of the Hebrew Bible, uh, this uh, gets translated, this name gets translated, I am who am, which is a really interesting translation because uh, that seems to, to indicate that God is the ground of all existence, uh, that nothing can exist without God, which I think certainly uh, is a, a great translation and a great interpretation of who God is. It's a great way of thinking about God, that uh, this name Yahweh means I am who am. Nothing can exist without God. There is also a second uh, way, which we've already mentioned, which is I am who I am, uh, which almost sounds like God is claiming that uh, he is uh, simply, and there's no other way to describe God than that he is. Uh, he is who he is. And uh, if you were to walk up uh, to your best friend in the world and, and ask the question, who are you? They might respond by saying, you know who I am. And that's almost uh, the way that this translation, I am who I am, could work. A third translation uh, proposed uh, by a couple of other scholars is, I will be there with you. And uh, all three of these translations are valid translations because this name, uh, it's not an exact science, uh, th this translation of this name, but uh, I will be there with you is a great translation as well, especially for this topic of moving from bondage to liberation. That when Moses asks God who he is and who can he tell the people of Israel uh, is coming on their behalf to advocate for them. Uh, God says, I will be there with you. Uh, it's a statement of hope. It's a statement that God asks the people to trust in him uh, because he will be there with them. And so Moses goes then to the Pharaoh, and of course the, the scene plays out. Uh, many of us are, are familiar with this story, with the, the signs, the plagues that come upon the people of Egypt. And the way that these plagues... Uh, counteract the acts of the gods of Egypt. And so that by the end of the story, we are to understand that Yahweh is stronger and more powerful uh, and that there's more reason to put our faith and hope and trust in him than in any other god, uh, any of the gods that the Egyptians can bring forth to those people. So this event, this Exodus event, which of course ends with the people leaving Egypt, uh, going out of the slavery that they have been enduring there uh, and becoming their own people. It's going to take several generations and uh, several decades and even centuries for this people to fully and finally become a nation. Uh, and yet there's more to it than that. God desires more for this group of people than simply for them to become uh, a political state. Uh, but certainly, as part of their story and part of their history, this becomes a foundational event where God is the one who shows up. God is the one who is there with them. And they can put their hope and their trust in him because they know that he will be there in their moments and times of need. That when they are feeling in bondage, that when they are in slavery, uh, that when the people, when their enemies come against them, that they can hope and trust in God because God will be present with them. So this becomes the foundational story of this people, of these Israelites, uh, later of the Jewish people. Uh, they look back to the Exodus and they understand that it is in that moment, in that story, that their identity is founded, 
that their relationship with God is uh, forever defined by that moment in time. And so now, as history continues to unfold, uh, this idea of moving from bondage to liberation provides hope for so many. And stories like this story, like the Exodus story, provide hope. And so we continue to tell stories that are just like this. Uh, think about stories that you may have encountered or heard of, uh, stories uh, that have changed your mind about people, stories that have inspired you, stories that have encouraged you and lifted you up. Oftentimes, there are stories that might sound similar to this, where somebody moves from a state of bondage, whether they're in bondage uh, to something physically and literally, or whether they're in bondage metaphorically, but they move out of that state of bondage and they move into liberation. And that is a very hopeful story. It's a story that we cling to, that we gravitate to, because these are the kinds of stories that give us hope, that give us reason to believe that something good is taking place in the world. So in the 1950s and 60s, uh, a new type of understanding, uh, a new type of interpretation uh, what began to, to become popular. And it was popularized by a, a man named Gustavo Gutierrez, who was born uh, back in the 1920s and uh, lived primarily in Peru, but uh, lived uh, during a time when there was a lot of concern because of what was going on around him socially and politically. And Gustavo Gutierrez uh, helped to popularize this idea of liberation theology. And the very basic tenet of liberation theology is that God is concerned for the poor and the oppressed. And this is a really important move that Gustavo Gutierrez is helping uh, people to understand and, and continues, this movement of liberation theology continues to be important and to help uh, define other movements that have come even out of this one. But the very basic tenet is that there is uh, a deep concern on God's part for those who are poor and oppressed. And of course, we can understand that that's not a new idea that Gustavo Gutierrez is proposing, but it's an old idea. It's an idea that goes back as far as the book of Exodus. And it's an idea in which we see that those who are in most need are the people that, exact people, that God is paying attention to. And so it's, it's those who are poor, it's those who are oppressed, it's those who are, seem to be in hopeless situations. And yet in those situations... It is God who enters into the story and begins to change things. It's God who comes to those people and lifts them out of their state of bondage and brings them to a state of liberation. It's God who we can put our hope and our trust in because God is the one who is doing this work to uh, save those who are in bondage, those who are in chains. And of course, uh, there are movements before Gustavo Gutierrez in the 1950s and 60s, and there'll be movements after uh, he popularizes this idea, this liberation theology. If you think to uh, uh, prior to the 1950s and 60s, you can think of anti-slavery movements that happened uh, in England and then uh, as well as in the United States. Uh, even the Civil War, to some extent, to some degree, uh, is a, an act of participating in liberation theology. Now, of course, that act would have to be continued into the civil rights movement that was going on simultaneously with uh, Gustavo Gutierrez's work in Peru. And to, today still continues in our country where we continue to seek uh, for those who are poor and oppressed, those who are on the margins of society, for them to be uh, 
uh, equal with those who are um, in places of privilege and who have a, a high status in our society. That work continues even today. Uh, but of course, there are other movements besides just these movements. You, you might think of uh, the apartheid that we uh, read about in history that took place in Africa. Uh, you might think of uh, the many different civil wars and people who have throughout history found themselves in places where they are in distress. And yet, for some reason, many times, these are the people who have hope and who have faith and who have trust in God. You might think of uh, a book uh, written by Viktor Frankl uh, called Man's Search for Meaning, uh, where he is writing from the perspective of a person who is in a concentration camp in the 1940s. And he is trying to understand what is God's purpose? What is God's, what, where is God in the midst of all this? And what is the meaning of it all? What is the meaning of life? And into those kinds of situations, this particular story, this theological story of of from bond, moving from bondage to liberation helps to provide hope to those who are most in need of it. So what what, is, what are we to understand from all this? What what is the point of uh, of us talking about this particular story that we find in Scripture? How do we answer the question? What is hope? Well, I think today uh, with this particular story in in the background of Exodus and moving from bondage to liberation, what I hope that we will understand is that. Who God is in his very core, uh, his very nature, is that God is not someone who will leave us in a state of bondage, whether that's literal or metaphorical, but God will not leave us there. Uh, God is seeking to deliver us, and for that reason, we can have hope. So this plays well into the Christian story as well because of what we see Jesus doing on the cross. There he provides hope. He provides salvation. He brings us from bondage to sin and death into a state of liberation, where now we are free, free to have life with God, free to spend quality time with this God, free to uh, have the door opened so that the relationship that was once tarnished, was once in distress and trouble, is now available to us in full. And of course, it's more than just that as well, because this God is not only seeking to save us from death, but seeking to bring us to life. And so this movement from bondage to liberation is a movement from death to life. And it gives us hope. It gives us hope that the future that God is seeking to bring about will be better than the past. That liberation is, in fact, better than bondage. That when the Israelites are in the wilderness complaining and wishing that they could just go back to Egypt, that what is ahead of them will somehow be better than what is behind them. Now, I think last week we also shared uh, during our conversation that the idea of hope can uh, nicely be uh, talked about or summarized in the idea that hope is uh, bringing about God's future. And so hope is not something that automatically fixes all of our problems. It's not something, uh, and God is certainly not someone who is going to just fix all of our problems. But this idea of hope is participating in the future that God is seeking to bring about. And so when we are in this season of advocating hope as a church, this is part of what our job is to do as believers in Jesus, as followers of Jesus, is to help bring about God's future to the here and now. And so when we encounter people or when we hear stories of those uh, who are in states of bondage, again, whether that's literal or metaphorical, 
Part of our task as believers in Jesus and followers of God is to provide a voice to the voiceless, to be there for those who have, uh, who have little or, or nothing, to be a part of this movement from bondage to liberation. When Jesus comes in the Gospel of Luke, he announces to the people what his ministry will be like in Luke chapter 4. And he quotes a passage from Isaiah, and this is what he says. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is core to the very identity of Jesus himself. That hope means that we will help bring people from bondage to liberation. The good news for us today also is that this is not just something that we do for others, but that this is something that God does for us. It's not even, in fact, something that we ourselves are ultimately responsible for. The good news of the cross and resurrection of Jesus is that Christ has once and for all provided hope to each and every one of us. And so now God invites us to participate in that hope, to help bring that hope to bear on the world around us. So as we continue to explore this topic and think about the idea of hope, it's, it's my hope, it's our hope as, as a church that we can be people who bring hope to the hopeless, who help to provide a voice to the voiceless, and who, as Jesus did, seek to lift up those who are in need of encouragement and good news. Thank you, church family, for joining us today for the Continuing the Conversation podcast. And we will be back next week to continue talking about this topic of hope and to continue exploring ways that we as a church can participate in, uh, in this conversation and participate in action uh, so that we can be followers of Jesus, not only in word, but in deed as well. Uh, in the meantime, uh, I hope that you're done walking the dog or doing the dishes or uh, helping kids with, with their schoolwork and uh, uh, you're ready to get back uh, to your daily life. And it's been so good to be with you again today. And I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day and uh, that God brings you uh, many opportunities to explore your spirituality and for you to understand how God is seeking to interact with you during this time. Uh, go in peace and we'll look forward to being with you again next week.